You're listening to the State of Women Radio Network, the first and only global radio network focused exclusively on women and girls with your host, Michelle Jaffe. Welcome to Women Investing in Women and Girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe, and we are so glad to have our guest on the show today, Dr. Robin Wilson, who is an incredible entrepreneur, a consultant, a facilitator, educator, inspiration, you name it. So we are so happy to have her on our program today. We're going to have some great conversations, so be sure to stay with us. Robin, how are you? How are you doing today? Shell, I'm great and wonderful to be part of your program and a bit overwhelmed by the introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> Excellent. Now, just to start off the conversation, you've had such an amazing background and you've been able to live in you know, so many different places. And something that I found very interesting about you is the number of degrees that you have. The, uh, your your oh. pursuit for upper-level upper education, I think, is very inspiring. So um, I'd like to know from you, what do you love about learning, first of all? And um, do you believe that people should try to pursue as much higher-level education as possible? Oh, really tricky question. Um, what do I love about learning? I guess I love learning itself. Um, you know, I guess I've always been curious, even as a kid. Um, and that's fed, I guess, the appetite. I think the other thing that fed it is a need to um, be robust around what you're doing um, and not sort of fluking it. Um, so... And I also lived through a, a an era where, you know, particularly the computing technology was accelerating incredibly quickly, so learning was incredibly relevant. But then that said, um, you know, I'm wondering, you know, I'm I'm at an age now where I feel like I've almost overdone it. Um, <laughs> you know, I I wonder whether the learning pursuits of of today. Um, shouldn't be actually more practical. You know, I I wish, as I look back, that I'd um, you know rolled up my sleeves more and got into the entrepreneurial space earlier and really learnt fundamentals in business rather than chase academic bits of paper. Um, and I and it leads me to a place where you know, it's a very fine edge between do you over-qualify yourself to compensate for feeling like you need to be good enough to get the senior jobs or are you okay, you know, really getting out there and getting the practical? I hope mm -hmm. I'm answering your question. Um, no, yeah. No, I, I think you bring up a really important and interesting um, view. Often we don't talk enough about the importance of, like you said, rolling your sleeves up and actually getting into the meat of, um, of your passion and what you want to do with the career. Um, and you know, that's been a topic of, I, I know for, you know, American education is how important is like common core as opposed to teaching kids about career paths and about real world, um, scenarios in real life. So I think that's, that's a, a very relevant thing to be talking about right now. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether, you know, we did miss out when we were younger around some of the very real issues that, um, but then this all said too, Michelle, I guess it depends the context in which you're growing up. Um, in Australia, a degree was nice, but not essential. 
you know, you could achieve um, high-level positions without the degree and nor is it asked of. But if you come to Singapore, if you don't have a basic degree, you you almost can't get in the the front door of certain Mm -hmm. careers. Um, So, you know, masters is most probably now minimal for certain degrees, otherwise you're not even looked at. And then if I go to Nepal, um, you know, I would so encourage the girls to get into university and and have that exposure to a degree and if not, gain access to an international master's because I do think that sets them up. But then that country is also at a slightly different stage. So it okay. is relative to your context. Um, there is something about the discipline of learning but not at the cost of punching out creativity and innovation and expression and the arts you know I we've got to hold this all holistically very interesting now talking about the importance of a global education and being aware of different areas of the world and again like rolling your sleeves up getting right into you know uh, what you want to do with your life you've traveled a lot in the pursuit of education or in the pursuit of opportunities um so again where are you originally from and what brought you to singapore i'm an australian girl who grew up in brisbane you know near the surface paradise beach and the wonders of the outdoor playground um and you know i always expected to go to university, so I did a science degree in mathematics, um, despite my father's um, expectation I'd do engineering, um, which I then did do later in life to prove him that I could do it, um, mm-hmm. the things we do in life, right? Um, and then I travelled over to Perth and, and worked in Perth for um, 16 years, 10 of which was at the University of Western Australia, so I was in the university sector. Um, I was deemed um, to have a mix of leadership skill that would have held me instead for senior university jobs back then, so I was encouraged to get my doctorate. It was then I realized I needed a non-Australian doctorate, so I looked Mm -hmm. overseas. Um, I looked to North America. I looked to Europe. And I thought, you know, Asia is on our doorstep. Um, Asia's emerging. Um, Those that travel to Australia from Asia, as soon as they set foot in Australia, are starting to be changed by being in Australia and fitting in. And I thought if I really wanted to get to know our neighbours, I needed to spend time in Asia. So I actually chose to come to Singapore to do my doctorate. I think I'm the first Australian to have deliberately done that. (laughs) Um, I haven't met anyone else, so I'm nervously claiming it, but I'm open to being challenged. Um, And I I came here to study at the local university and do my doctorate because there is something about living in and immersing yourself in different cultural contexts to really get the benefit of... um, international education I believe yeah amazing I'd like to remind our listeners that you're listening to women investing in women and girls we're talking with our guest today Dr. Robin Wilson and we're talking about her experiences abroad and how she made her journey to Singapore now Robin once you came to Singapore 
Um, you know, what was your first impression on the types of leaders and organizations that you encountered there? <laughs> well, when I first came, it was, I saw the university and that was actually quite different um, to Australia. You know, I'd, I'd worked in senior circles in the university in Australia and I came to Singapore and I was the bottom of the hierarchical heap. Um, so looking at leadership had a very different view on it because it really was very hierarchical and top-down. And that was my first experience. So I experienced it first before I actually really reviewed it, if, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and the feeling of being in a highly hierarchical um, culture was a shock to me coming from Australia, which is incredibly flat in many ways. Um, so that was my first experience. But then after my doctorate, the very first job, well, projects I really start, I had was to write some business case studies for Ho Ching at um, Singapore Technologies. Um, Ho Ching, by the way, is the CEO of now Tomasic Holdings, which would be one of the equity houses in Singapore. Um, she's commonly known as the Prime Minister's wife as well. Um, so I was paid to look at companies and look at, you know, how they operated and actually examine the leadership. Um, and yes, there are different contexts leadership exists in this, in this region. Very interesting. And it's great that you point out the differences between cultures. And that really truly speaks to why it's so important to get out of, you know, your comfort zone, because you do get to experience so many different um, things, like you said, with even just the, yep. the business structure. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that that's amazing. It's, um, it's interesting, if you go to another country, and you go in as a senior leader, I'm not convinced you see all the nuances. There's something about experiencing another culture that I think is also very key. Absolutely. And when we come back to when we come back from our first break in the discussion, uh, we're going to talk more about Dr. Robin's work with consulting through uh, the firm that she started called Praxis Management Consulting. Uh, but first, I want to invite you to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womeninvesting or on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtags womeninvest, hashtag girlsinvest, and hashtag we for she. Stay tuned. You're listening to the State of Women Radio Network, the first and only global radio network focused exclusively on women and girls. Welcome back to Women Investing in Women and Girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe, and we are going to get right back to our discussion with our guest today, Dr. Robin Wilson of Singapore. And before we went to the break, we talked about Dr. Robin's background, um, you know, and exploring different parts of the world and how she came to Singapore. And now we're going to talk more about her work with consulting. Uh, Dr. Robin is the owner of Praxis Management Consulting. Um, so, Dr. Robin, I'd like to know, first of all, if you can explain just, just pretty shortly what consulting truly is. What, what, what does it entail? Uh, there, there's a spectrum of consulting, Michelle. Um, at one end, consulting may be um, let me come in and help you tell the time, you know, 
mm-hmm. let, let me give you advice and here's our recommendations. Um, I must probably sit at the other end of the spectrum where the consulting I do is very facilitative. So I'm not coming in as the expert, I'm coming in as the facilitator of process. And so consulting in the sense of strategy and leadership and senior teams, I'm coming in with process, I'm coming in helping them have the conversations they need, I come in with the toolboxes to help them make sense of of information and, and to look at things differently and to help them come up with the conclusions they need to because after all they're the ones who own the businesses um, and they're the and and part of why I do what I do is to build capability while I'm also facilitating because you know we we really want businesses and leaders to be sustainable in what they do wonderful so that's that's how I consult yeah right so how did you get started with the uh, career field of consulting and did you like it right away? Um, I don't think I realized what I was getting into. So if I look back over my career, I've most probably stumbled into a lot of things as I've, as my curiosity has got the better of me. Um, so I mentioned before that immediately after my doctorate, I, I wrote some business case studies for Singapore Technologies. Um, I then had to um, produce workshops to, to run them um, and then you know that really was the first toehold around taking people in businesses giving them tools and thinking about how to help them think about their own businesses through you know facilitated I guess corporate education um, and then that slowly got me closer to the coalface um, I realized very quickly I needed to uh, hone soft skill and I guess from there it, it, it became this journey where different businesses through the network you know had different things they were wanting to tackle and I'd bring my toolbox and my processes and my attention to people and started working on on helping them actually work on on these difficult problems um, so did it start as pure consulting most probably not um, it was my journey of exploration and today I've ended up, you know, with a very interesting track record with very interesting clients and a skill base that complements, I guess, the big consulting firms. So, so I sit in around the edges of these big consulting firms. Um, yeah. Amazing. Not, not black and white, you know, it's, it's emerging, right? Um, right. Yeah. Right. Now, like, like you mentioned, there are definitely other consulting firms in Singapore, and I'm sure that you could have easily found a job as a consultant in, a, in another firm, but what motivated you to start your own firm? What do you believe sets your firm apart from others? I, I guess there's a couple of things. Um, would I have easily have got a job in another consulting firm? I'm not totally sure because, you know, when it comes to a lot of corporate jobs, you've got to fit into the square box to to go into these firms, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. sure with my background I ticked all the boxes. I have a very eclectic background in many ways and that can be a strength but it also can be a weakness. And so to go into that, you know, was most probably more of a challenge 
at, at that time. Uh, the other thing that put me off was you go into a job, a corporate global job here in Singapore, and you you're almost selling your soul to those jobs because you know you're working, particularly here in Asia, because we have to cope with multiple time zones. You're working, you know, your butt off incredibly long hours, and I was going. I'm not sure I want to be captive in that. Hmm. Um, autonomy and being a little different and being a little bit more prepared to journey with my client was what was important to me. And I felt I could best do that by being more autonomous and independent. Love um, it. So part of it was also knowing what sets me up to do my best work is around a little bit of independence and um, being free to operate in a certain way helps me bring value, I think, where mm -hmm. if I'm a system or a bureaucracy, I'm not sure that would have worked quite the same. Right. That's very interesting. So when you actually help these business owners, these, orga um, these organizations, these executives... Um, what is your main goal in helping them achieve success? What do you want them to accomplish by the time that you um, are finished helping them to get to where they, they, they need to be? Well, that's emerged with time. And I guess the clarity I have around my goal today, and, and this was a personal journey working it all out. Because um, as you know from my background with all this maths and physics and IT and engineering, you know, what is my goal? What really gets me going? And I'd have to summarize it very simply as, you know, I really love seeing people find the clarity and the capacity they need to do to meet the challenges that they're faced with. So whatever that challenge is, um, whether, you know, I need the robustness of my background to help sort of help them see through context and find that clarity or whether I bring my executive coaching to help them personally deal with whatever's challenging them or the mix thereof, um, my goal is um, really helping them know that they can do it and to find it within them cognitively, emotionally, however that works, to actually do it um, and even discover that they can do more than they thought they could. Um, and I'm feeling like I'm then meeting my goal. Fantastic. Once again, you're listening to Women Investing in Women and Girls. We are with our guest today, Dr. Robin Wilson, talking about her consulting firm, Praxis Management Consulting, located in Singapore. Um, now, Dr. Robin, what are some of the common mistakes that you see businesses and organizations making? <laughs> oh, um, common mistakes. That's a good question. Um, common mistakes. Sometimes, you know, they do their strategy and put their plan into play and they just want to execute the plan and they forget to keep looking at the changing environment around them is a common mistake. Mm. Another common mistake is, you know, I guess around the tyranny of leadership. Um, you know, we have such a strong responsibility to get our jobs done and we want to deliver 
um, we often forget to treat those we're supervising differently to how um, we get treated. <laughs> you know, so we end up passing on how we get treated without realizing mm -hmm. it. Um, and that's a common mistake. So how does your uh, consulting firm help these businesses then reverse that, make a mistake into something that they can learn from? Well, I guess it's it's trying to have the interventions just to, you know, bring them to a point to stop to reflect on what's going on and what might not be working for them as they struggle to do something. Um, normally businesses call for interventions when they're struggling with something and something's got to get their attention because often these things we can get away with if if we're not really uh, having our business upset you know if so if profit's mm -hmm. still happening bottom line's still happening everything's working all right these things keep living um, and it's not until something goes wrong or things are getting too hard that we have to stop and go hang on let's see what we need to do and it's it's around you know having the setting up the conversation making sure the right people are in the room having an intervention whatever that looks like to perhaps have stop stop and have people think about what's going on and what might be stopping them achieving um, that you then start bringing these reflections to the fore right right yeah. Now, when we get back from our next break, uh, we are going to talk more about your work in helping specifically female entrepreneurs in the entrepreneurial environment in Singapore and abroad. Um, but for right now, I invite you all to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womeninvesting. You can also go on Twitter and use the hashtags womeninvest, hashtag girlsinvest, and hashtag weforshe. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the State of Women Radio Network, the first and only global radio network focused exclusively on women and girls with your host, Michelle Jaffe. And welcome back to Women Investing in Women and Girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe, and we are with our guest today, Dr. Robin Wilson, who, again, is an incredible entrepreneur, consultant, facilitator, educator, inspiration, the list goes on. So we're so glad to have her part of our program today. Before we went to the break that we just came back from, we talked about her work with consulting and helping entrepreneurs, executives, and dreamers achieve their goals. And now we're going to shift the topic more to talking about female entrepreneurs and the work that Dr. Robin does to empower these individuals achieve their greatest potential. So Dr. Robin, welcome back. And if we can talk more about the Athena Network in particular. Um, so what is your role within the Athena Network in Singapore and can you describe the network? Ah, the Athena Network. I, I, I stumbled into the Athena Network because they were running a program alongside Google that was focused on bringing tools to women entrepreneurs, you know, from the Google suite. Um, and I discovered this incredible community of of women, um, mostly entrepreneurs, not so much corporates, corporate. Corporate, um, and it's a it's basically a network of women entrepreneurs in Singapore. And the what makes it different? There's something about a community feel about it. They seem to champion each other. 
You don't get the competitive thing as much. Um, the other beautiful feature about the Athena Network is there's a, a strong mix between local and foreign women, so which is unusual because the networks either tend to be all foreign or, or local. Mm-hmm. So the mix is beautiful. And there is a theme that runs through Athena Network around giving access to the tools that women do need to grow their businesses. Now, you know, I walked in with a PhD in IT and I have to say I was struggling getting my branding right, getting my company website up and all those basic things. And I walked into a a village in a way Um, and that's what Athena is. What's my role? It's actually become advisor, you know, so a board advisor or mentor to the community has been the emerging role that I've. I found I'm playing um, for them, um, which has been incredibly rewarding and a surprise to me. That's so, so great. Now, what does your role entail? What types of things do you do for this network? Um, I guess I'm. there's a couple of things that I do, um, apart from working with the, fa- the Asian-based founder, of Athena because Athena also has its original roots in England. Um, it it would be a support to her. It would be a support to the team. So I, you know, I'm brought in often to um, manage and facilitate, you know, certain discussions and reviews and strategy with them. Um, sometimes represent them at places where different organizations are represented here in Singapore. Um, And I'm often called to, I guess, host and facilitate um, certain events. So we've always sought to have deeper conversations rather than just fronting up and listening to a speaker. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to holding the conversation uh, with a large group of women, I'm often called in to to help with that. which is, you know, it's been great. Right. That sounds like an, a fantastic opportunity and a way for these women to learn more mm-hmm. about how to be successful as an entrepreneur. Now, I want to talk more about the environment of Singapore and how this plays a role into this. Uh, you know, we've talked earlier um, with a past guest about the pretty staggering gender gap that is present in Singapore when it comes to women in roles of entrepreneurship and um, and, and being on the board of directors or in other executive positions. Um, so how does the Athena Network impact the environment for women entrepreneurs and executives in Singapore? Yeah, Singapore is very confusing when it comes to these gaps because if you look at the statistics around you know, board representation and, um, you know, the, the things that you're referring to, the experience you might have here in Singapore doesn't necessarily equate with the statistics. So if, if I think about my time in Australia, I think about, you know, the, the, the agenda issue is up front and ever-present because um, I ended up on every jolly committee in the university at the end because they mm-hmm. needed gender representation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a culture of, you know, put down and a little bit of bullying in Australia. 
I come to Singapore and women are in senior positions. You know, you don't expect to walk into a board and not see women. You know, women are ever present in in the workforce and I've never felt not respected because I'm a mm-hmm. woman at any point in Singapore. So when you think about the gender issue, you're going, is there really an issue here? But then women aren't necessarily representing boards, but on the other hand, they're actually CEO of technical companies, you know, very senior, um, you know, I think the head of IBM is a woman, the head of Microsoft in Asia is a woman, you know, head of engineering, technical, aerospace, water purifying are all women in in Asia. So we do see them in the top position, mm-hmm. but the numbers so, don't stack up. Right. So we are seeing that, although we may be hearing about a problem, um, it is getting better, and as we can see, there is progress being made in this field so that's something great to hear um and again if you're just now tuning into our show you're listening to women investing in women and girls we're talking with our guest today uh, dr robin wilson about specifically the athena network and how her work is able to empower female entrepreneurs in singapore um and now something related to that is something called startup conversations and i know that you dr robin um, are involved with startup conversations. So, can you explain more about what these events are, and um, you know what the what the goals are? What's the focus? Yeah, and I think just to 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 bring the um, conversation back between what I was saying about corporate and the entrepreneurs and Athena and startup, what sure. we are seeing, because um, Singapore's got a very large expatriate community where we've got a lot of international companies, so. Uh, many foreigners are brought to Singapore to sit in positions and in many cases that's men and trailing spouses come, for instance. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very mixed demographic in, in Singapore. Add to that, women might be making some choices around whether they do want to stay in the corporate world or whether in fact they don't want to and most Singaporean are actually women are incredibly well educated so they might be looking for alternative activities and then you've got the big family business um, SME sector in Singapore. So what are we seeing in Athena? You know we might see some incredibly capable women who are coming to Singapore because their family's here who are going I can't get a work permit to get a job so what do I do? I might start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting that demographic. We might be getting some corporate women are going, look, I've had enough of all this, it's time to change, and we get that. So I guess Athena um, becomes a network where we're catching all these different women at different stages of their career and their journeys. Startup started because specifically around helping people with starting their business and supporting them in that and navigating the ecosystem and trying to work out what to do and how to do it, we figured, and so I set up startup conversations with the Athena um, head, Gina Romaro, um, and we, we wanted to just provide a safe container and space for women to come together and say, talk about their issues 
provide some moral support for each other, um, raise the topics, um, things that then Gina and I brought in, in in response to their request. So it actually became this um, this space that was safe that didn't end up have the women end up in all these incubators and you know this high pressure. I got to pitch and do all this stuff in the startup space. We wanted to get away from that, be more inclusive, and provide that safe space for conversation and mutual support. And that's, and that's how startup started. Yeah, I mean that that's so great, and I think that it's very important that you know this this uh, these startup conversations do make that distinction, and the fact that it is more of a relaxed conversation. We talk yep. about the the idea that in order for change to be made, there first has to be the identifying of the the identification of a problem, and then to start talking about it. So exactly. I think that startup conversations exactly. is a great way to do that. Um, we're going to talk more about startup conversations after we come back from our next break. Uh, remember, I'd like to invite all of you out there to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womeninvesting or on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtags womeninvest, hashtag girlsinvest, and hashtag we for she. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the State of Women Radio Network, the first and only global radio network focused exclusively on women and girls. And welcome back to Women Investing in Women and Girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe, and we are with our guest today, Dr. Robin Wilson, who is such an inspiration, not only in Singapore, but around the world. She's been doing incredible work, empowering and helping different entrepreneurs uh, female entrepreneurs, male entrepreneurs, you name it, she's done it. It's fantastic. So uh, before we went into the break, we talked about startup conversations. And Dr. Robin explained a little bit about what these conversations are and how they help female entrepreneurs start the discussion about what they might be experiencing in their, in their roles as entrepreneurs. Uh, so we're going to get back to this discussion. Um, so Dr. Robin, how does participation in startup conversation, prepare women for future for a, a good future in entrepreneurship, and and you know what are the events like, and you know what 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 are what's the significance of the panels that you have? How does it transform who's involved? I, I think we find it a, a a transitory space in that sense because they come when they're really trying to work out how to deal with their next step, whatever that is. Um, so they often come, we have different, I guess, topic, general topics, um, and it might be around the business model. It might be around, uh, digital marketing. It might be around, you know, generally a marketing strategy. It might be making some decisions about your IT infrastructure. Um, it might be just talking about the legal issues, um, around startups, um, we've actually find because again the demographic in Singapore that we've got incredible talent in the room. Um, so we've got lawyers and you know accountants and all sorts of people, but everybody has something they need and hopefully something they can give. And so we do try and set up the events so that if we need to bring in some experts, we do. But we actually find that the women themselves bring incredible expertise, and when we share it it actually becomes an incredible multiplying effect. Um, there's something about wisdom discovered is more powerful than wisdom told. 
So again, by having conversations and having them go, ah, perhaps I am doing too much. Perhaps I do need to start employing someone. Perhaps, you know, there is a simple solution to this and I'm making this too hard. Um, we then find that women do find their way and they do connect with people that they remain more connected to and they, they find a way to manage their journey and that's how we tend to see this particular event work for women. You know, what a terrific way to put that. I love what you said, that wisdom discovered is more powerful than wisdom told. And I think that, you know, that has to do with, you know, our, our beginning of the conversation when we talked about your pursuit for higher level education and how that curiosity has carried you so far. So you, therefore, encourage entrepreneurs to maintain a similar level of curiosity can, to continue to want to learn and to learn from others. Um, mm. And that that's the power of having these conversations between entrepreneurs as opposed Correct. to, yeah, so um, how amazing. Now, entrepreneurs can face a number of challenges through the development of their startups. And I'm sure that yes. you've seen this in your consulting firm as well. Um, yes. So what do you believe is the best way for entrepreneurs to, um, you know, recognize that there is a challenge in front of them, but then uh, use that challenge to help themselves advance and develop? Yeah, that's a huge question. <laughs> and, you know, I wish I could wiggle my nose and have the answer to all of that. Um, so simple. I, I must admit that Part of answering this question brings me back to one thing around this whole topic is often when you've got women entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs full stop in a room, everybody comes in with differing aspirations and we don't often have enough language around the entrepreneurial discussion around what, what are these differing aspirations and what are the consequences of that. So you might have a woman who just really wants to earn enough money to, you know, pay the equivalent to a salary at one end. You might have another woman who's got a tech idea that she really wants to scale and it, and become big, but she doesn't want a big organization. She only wants a very lean organization. Or you might have another woman who's got a cause that is important to her and she needs to work out how to finance it. Mm -hmm. And so... You've got incredible diversity just under this whole umbrella called entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, so people are going to face very different challenges along the way, but there are fundamentals. And I guess I'm a believer that in the entrepreneurial world, world we're getting too caught up with a lot of um, branded um, corporate speak around what we need to do as entrepreneurs when in fact there are fundamentals around cash flows and employing people and having good business model and understanding customer and all those fundamentals. Um, so to me, it's around having, I guess, a basic framework of fundamentals. Um, it is keeping to the basics um, while also helping women assess how they're going, where they tend to go, what they might be neglecting and help them discover how to get the support they need to fill the holes because uh, it's going to be different for everyone. It's not mm -hmm. going to be the same challenge for everybody. Right. Um, that's the complexity of this whole 
space. Different aspirations, different challenges for people make it really hard to have a one-fits-all, you know, problem, um, solution. Mm-hmm. You know, each entrepreneur is on their own yeah. journey. Uh, so if you're, you're, you're just now tuning into our show, you're listening to Women Investing in Women and Girls. We're talking with our guest today, Dr. Robin Wilson, and alongside with her work to help empower entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and to help business leaders and dreamers achieve their ultimate success, you also do some incredible work within Women Lead Nepal. And this is, you know, such an amazing organization, some amazing projects. So can you explain more about this organization and your your role within it? Well, again, I stumbled into it. In fact, I met one of the co-founders at an Athena event in Singapore. Um, And I had traveled to Nepal and we made the connection and she chased me for a year. And I then met the other founder. What does women... um, lead in Nepal do, you know, they basically um, select 30 out of hundreds of applications every year, um, girls entering their last year of school in Kathmandu, they put them through extra leadership development, um, help them find their identities, help them find their voices, help them understand issues around the choices they can make in life. And this is all focused to really get women into the sectors of community in Nepal so they can be there affecting policy change, influencing um, the discussions, the important discussions that are happening in that country mm-hmm. at this point in time. And they've been going for, I think this is the sixth intake, um, and the women are now coming back from university studies, they're starting businesses, they're getting into the workforce, um, they're starting to find voices around violence against women, um, safety issues, trafficking. Um, and, you know, it's, it's amazing what um, women lead are doing in Nepal. Um, and it's been a real privilege to not only teach at their women at the Leadership Institute every year, and I just come back from the graduation of the one I taught at. Um, but I also get to meet women entrepreneurs who have supported this organisation, and I can tell you what they're doing around um, their businesses, particularly given the earthquake that's happened there. You know, there's something about what women entrepreneurs do in countries. They pick up essential issues and they solve problems that are in front of them. And I'm just amazed at what these women do in Nepal. Privilege. Incredible. Definitely. And it must feel so fulfilling to see, you know, th- this change being made because of what is being done because uh, of yes. uh, women lead Nepal. Yep. And one of the main themes that I can identify through this organization is the ability for women, the, the, the people who started this organization, to help invest in uh, young girls and women as yes. well. Um, yes. So for you, having experience in empowering other female entrepreneurs and in helping business leaders and then through Women Lead Nepal, empowering young girls and females around the world, what does it mean for you to invest in a woman or, or a girl and what's the significance of doing so? 
I know when I invest in a young girl, and particularly um, whether it's a young girl in Nepal or whether it's a young girl in Australia or Singapore, I know investing in this young girl, you know, if, if this girl grows to be someone who's incredibly confident, who has voice, who's resilient, who is prepared to make the choices for themselves around their life, and I'm not dictating what those choices are, um, I know families, communities, and countries are going to be better off um, with such women in their society. And so, you know, it's a privilege to, um, you know, to work at this level. I, I, I am of a generation where so much fighting had been done for me around the gender issue in many ways historically. Um, but I think that it's cycling back where we do need to have girls in America and Australia and Singapore really find a resilience and a confidence that um, is important because I think we're, we've, we're not getting the flow-through effects in our societies. But when you see it in Nepal, it seems to even be more stark there's something about a girl that when she grows up to be a woman, you know, that's the backbone of that country. Um, they're the ones that keep the home fires burning. They're the ones that keep people fed. They're the ones that keep communities intact. And, um, you know, we're all out for a better world for everybody. That's the end game. It's not just getting women unequally there. It's, you know, how do we make it best for everybody? Perfect. Um, so that's what that's what's important for me around I, helping the girls. And and you know I think that's an important idea for a lot of people to take away. And I'm so glad that you know your work with this topic has been so successful. You are empowering people from all over the world. And um, like you said, it's so important to be able to invest in women and in girls alike. And um, you just exemplified why that is such a necessary thing and the impact that it can have in the communities that these girls are from. Um, I think this was a very important conversation to have. So I, again, would like to thank you for being um, a part of our show today. It was an absolute honor and you are definitely an inspiration to many. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been an absolute privilege. And um yeah, it's been a personal journey for me, as it is for many women, and um, I commend you on the work you're doing. Thank you so much. I definitely appreciate that. Um, it's been a great conversation again, and we want to hear from all of you. So I, I would like to invite you to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womeninvesting. You can also connect with us by going on Twitter and using the hashtags WomenInvest, hashtag GirlsInvest, and hashtag WeForShe. Again, Dr. Robin Wilson, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Great. And we'd like to thank all of you for listening as well. You've been listening to Women Investing in Women and Girls. This show is produced by the State of Women Radio Network, the first radio network for women and girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Women Investing in Women and Girls with Michelle Jaffe. Download our shows on iTunes or listen on demand right here on thestateofwomen.com, the first and only global radio network focused exclusively on delivering the latest trends in investing, entrepreneurship, and global women's issues by and for women and girls. 